You know, it's imperative to understand how much of this Sermon on the Mount is a series of contrasts. It, it begins with such a contrasting, surprising opening line. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit? You wouldn't immediately make that connection. Uh, but Jesus is only getting started. Uh, going on to say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, challenging even the religious leaders' opinions of the time. He goes on to say, do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Do not pray and give like the hypocrites do, but pray and give like this. Do not build your house on the sand, but build your house on the rock. This whole sermon is a series of these, of these contrasts, contrasting how we would naturally perceive things how we would naturally perceive the way things should be in this world and how things really operate in the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is literally upside down from this culture that we live in. And, or maybe perhaps this world is upside down from the way God has called it and made it to be intent originally. But today we're going to cover two more contrasts as Jesus just masterfully illustrates that we are called to be salt, which, as we'll see, is a natural preservative, implying that this world around us is slowly decaying. We're going to see that we are called to be light in this world. And as we'll see, this, this world is getting dark, as I'm sure you guys can see. And Jesus said as much in John 3.19, saying that this is the judgment, that light has come into this world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, this is what God has called us to be, to be salt and light. Not just standing in contrast to this world, but offering preservation to this world that is decaying and rotting. And to be light into this world that is dark. That is our calling this morning, saints. So let us get started. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. It's not necessarily something we would say in American culture, but to the Roman world, they understood the many layers of that statement. It was, uh, salt was so valuable that the Romans sometimes paid people with salt. It's where we actually still get our phrase, you know, oh, you're not worth your salt. That's where we get that from. In fact, that's where we get our word salary from, from, uh, from, the, from, from the word they were using for salt. Uh, furthermore, um, it, it has all these other con um, attributes. It's tasty. It makes you thirsty. All types of things that uh, preachers often will uh, bring up in their sermons. But the main thing Jesus is driving at is that salt is a natural preservative. It's a preservative. And so as we let our light shine, as we're about to cover, as we tell people this good news that we have in Jesus, as the gospel is going forward, we're going to make disciples. The kingdom of God is going to go out throughout this decaying world. And as that happens, things seem to happen as the influence of the kingdom of God has a high influence upon the culture. Things begin to happen. Good things. And, and I choose my words carefully there as I said kingdom of God, as the kingdom of God has a higher influence. Not just that there are 
a lot of churches around. You can have a lot of churches in a city, but the city can still be quite ungodly and still have very uninfluent, little influence. You know, the Dark Ages were a great example of that. The churches were strong, but the, the world was falling apart. Contrast that then to the Reformation. As the church, the church big C's, you know, the, the big organizational structure of the church was getting weaker. But man, the people were, had the Bible in their hands and in their own languages. And the influence of the kingdom of God ran rampant throughout Western civilization, bringing about unparalleled prosperity and more importantly, revival. And God did amazing things during that time. Now, I'm not saying that time was perfect. There were still flawed people doing flawed things, but amazing things were happening. And that's part of the preserving nature of Christians within our culture. As the word of God goes forward, the pace of the rotting world around us slows down. It even reverses. You know, I've, I've noticed this trend that as revival breaks out throughout a nation, the bars close down. You know, we all know what South Amboy used to be known for, our Guinness World Record. Most bars per square mile, is that how it was worded? And no, that, those things begin to stop. You know, they, they close down due to low attendance. They, that, that need to fill this emptiness in your heart is filled with someone else. It's filled with the light of Jesus Christ. Same thing as so-called adult entertainment places close down as the influence of the kingdom of God grows. And in their place, hospitals are built, schools are built, the poor are fed, orphanages are built. That's what happens when the kingdom of God and its influence comes to a place. I've seen it with my own eyes in third world countries. You know, as the Christians go into these places, as missionary organizations go in, those are the things that they build. Ministering to the least of these, that's what we're called to do. And by the way, notice the tense that Jesus uses. He says, you are the light of the world, or rather, you are the salt of the earth. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's true there too. He's not saying you must become salt of the earth. He's saying that's who you are. That is your God-given identity. That is who God has made you to be for just becoming a Christian. He's not calling us to become super salty, Implying some kind of super religious class. But simply who you are in Christ. It's your God-given identity. It's who you are and who God has made you to be. That's the influence we will naturally have as Christians upon our culture. But notice how the verse ends. As it says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, salt doesn't naturally lose its taste. It doesn't naturally lose its saltiness. It doesn't go bad like milk par se. But I came across an interesting fact as I was studying up for this message. Apparently, back in Jesus' time, a lot, of the sea, a lot of the salt in the Dead Sea region had become contaminated. And as a result, it had a flat taste, and it lost its, its uh, preserving effect. It wasn't good for much. People would literally just throw it along the pathways just to hope that there was enough salt in it left to keep vegetation from growing along the roads. 
That's all it was good for. Jesus isn't making up an analogy out of nowhere. And I, and I love that. But we see the, um, the convicting call that he's saying there. We see what he is illustrating for us. He's asking, you know, do you have that preserving element in your life still? Do we encourage holiness and, and denounce the corrupt things of this world? Or have we lost our saltiness? Have we lost our taste? Have we lost our influence? Have we allowed ourselves to become contaminated by the world around us rather than preserving the world around us? Like how this Dead Sea salt got contaminated. That's a convicting call to us today, church. Have we lost our passion for Jesus? Have we lost our passion for holiness? And have we begun to settle for less in our walk with Christ? May they not be said of us today, church. May we have our passion still. May, may, may we be a people set apart unto God and to his work in this region. Let us build people up where others are being torn down. May we build our community where others are seeking to tear it down. Let us take up this call together. But lastly, I, I find it fascinating that salt is not only a preservative it's also pretty tasty, isn't it? I mean, I would go for a well-seasoned, salty steak any day of the week. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, that's the point. It's tasty. It's delicious. But we ought to preserve the culture around us, but in a tasty way. We don't want to come across with this holier-than-thou attitude as if I have it all together. I don't. I don't. I'm just another beggar telling another beggar where I found bread, where, a, where I found satisfaction. That should be our attitude. You know, Jesus said a lot of really heavy truths to the culture around us, to around his time as well. But he always did it in a tasteful and winsome way. The church ought to do likewise. All right, so by the grace of God, let's finish this paragraph. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, you see that you are the light of the world. You know, that is our identity of Christians, not some secret class only for the masters of the faith, but you are the light of the world. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus in other places said he was the light of the world. But now we're saying we are the light of the world. How do we, how do we balance that? How do we bring that together? Well, but reconciles pretty easily, actually. Jesus still is the light of the world. We just carry him with us now. Kind of like if you ever have a candle that you light with another candle. You know, that fire that began in that first candle is now burning in that second one. And now I can take this light that I've been given and carry it around with me wherever I go. 
It, Jesus is saying we are the same way. We carry his light with us wherever we go in this world. And indeed, this world we live in needs that light. I'm sure you guys have noticed this, this world is getting dark, isn't it? Crime is on the rise. Suicide and mental illness is on the rise. And goodness, in the year 2020, just this last year, more people died in San Francisco of drug overdoses than of COVID-19. It's a scary thought. And I imagine as more data comes in, we're going to find that that's going to be true of more and more places. I mean, that's the natural outworking of fear without hope. When you don't have hope and you have fear, it leads to addictions. It leads to all of these other horrible things and crime and hopelessness. So I fear for what's happening. And by, by, by me bringing that up, I'm not dismissing COVID-19. I'm, I'm merely drawing attention to a darkness that we still don't have a vaccine for. That the one of fear and anxiety and hopelessness. There is, however, a bomb in Gilead that can make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead that can heal the sin-sick soul. His name is Jesus Christ. That is the, a greater vaccine. That is a greater bomb than we could give to anything to our culture in this increasingly dark world that so desperately needs that light. The light of, is the simple truth that we are not alone in this universe. But there is a God who loves us. And despite that we have sinned against him and have earned our judgment, that he would love us still and go to the cross and die for us so that all who believe in his name this morning stand forgiven of every sin, past, present, or future. That is the good news that this world needs. And that light dispels the darkness of hopelessness that leads to addiction. That light dispels the darkness of broken families and a desire to belong by giving us a place in the family of God. The light of the gospel cures all the darknesses of this world. Anxiousness, fear, hatred, racism, jealousy, all of that is dealt with by what Jesus has done for you. And the healing that we find as we step into this new identity that he has given us. That's exactly what this world needs right now. So why do we keep this light hidden within ourselves as if we're hiding it under a basket? You know, I heard a story from a famous atheist that really cut me to the heart recently. Um, he was... Uh, approached by a Christian who, uh, who came up and gave him a Bible, told him a little bit about the gospel, just explained to him what Jesus has done for him in his life, and just shared what he could do in, in this atheist's life as well. And that atheist put out this response that absolutely shocked me. He said he was glad that he was approached by this Christian. He was blessed by him coming to him. He said, the, here's what he said. He said, if you really believe that there is a hell, 
and that people are actually going there, how much do you have to hate someone not to warn them about it? Ouch. That, that cut me to the heart because what this atheist said was exactly right. You know, am I so concerned about my own introverted tendencies, my own desire to be liked and appreciated by everyone, that I can have this light within me and not shine it to this world around me because of my own self-protective proclivities? And yes, it's not the most comfortable thing to talk about. I get that. But, you know, that's the nature of light. It's not always comfortable. You know, I remember from my, from my many years in the Boy Scouts, I've spent um, many nights in the dark wilderness walking around with my buddies in those campsites. And, you know, after you've walked around in darkness for a while and your buddy accidentally turns on his mag light right in your face, that light is not comforting. <laughs> that light kind of burns for a moment. But it's that same light that would guide us back home. The same light that would guide us back to where we needed to be. Unblessed at the moment, but it's exactly what we needed. You know, people who've been walking for darkness their whole lives are not gonna be comfortable stepping into the light immediately. And I get that, that's okay. Our job isn't to drag people into the light against their will, but to show them the light that God has given us and leave the rest up to God. But we do offer it, as verse 16 tells us, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we're shining that light in our words and in our deeds, wherever we go. Let people see how you behave at work, at school, at social functions. Let people see how you behave and the words that you use and the words that we don't use, and they will see that, you know, there's, there might be something different about you. There might be something unique about this Jesus person you keep telling me about. I'm interested. You never know what God might do. And you see the emphasis there. People aren't going to see how awesome we are. Not that we're some super class of Christians, but they will see what God is doing in our lives. See how God is changing us and say and, and think to themselves, you know what? Maybe God can do that in my life too and give God the glory. It reminds me of John chapter 4, our first reading from this morning. The, the context is the woman at the well that Jesus approached. And this woman was mocked and marginalized in so many circles as she comes to this well in the heat of noon rather than the cool of the morning when everyone else was coming out. No doubt because of her shame. But she took that light that she had and showed it to the world around her. And my goodness, because of her, it seemed like the whole town of Sychar came to Christ because of her. <laughs> and that should be a lesson to us. You know, you don't have to wait until you feel qualified or you have your act together to sh start shining your light to the world around us. This woman sure didn't. I mean, she knew of Jesus, you know, a remarkably short period of time, and she became his chief evangelist. 
to the very town she had a tarnished reputation in. We don't have to wait to shine our light until we're above our sins. Jesus has already washed them away. Jesus has already given us a new identity and made us a new creation in his name. We are qualified to shine that light. So as I move towards our conclusion this morning, let us remember that Jesus isn't challenging us to become something more than we are. Not calling us to become super saints as the Pharisees erroneously thought that they were. But he's telling, he's simply telling us what he has already made us to be. Salt and light. That you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's simply calling us to shine the light that he has already put within us. And just as a final thought, you know, light doesn't have to work hard to shine. Light just shines. These lights, you know, you turn them on, they just shine. They're not working hard. The power is going through them and they just shine. Light just moves. In the same way, you know, that this light should just shine out of us. We just got to get ourselves out of, way, out of the way to let it shine. Salt is naturally salty. You just, you just ha- can't have it contaminated with anything to let it have its effect. So let's let ourselves get out of the way. Let's not get contaminated or wrapped up in things that we shouldn't be as Christians. And let's just see what God is going to do naturally through our lives. Not go and work harder and be this amazing thing, but let's just go and see what God is going to do naturally as we let him work unhindered in our lives. That's our call this morning, church. Let's go be who God has called us to be. Nothing more, but also nothing less. As for me, <laughs> as, as, the, as the old thing goes, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen.